all views and opinions in this podcast are not meant to offend or hurt the sentiments of including but not limited to any person living or dead religion or ethnic group community or country Indian food is so much more than dal butter chicken or samosa the average indian isn't even remotely aware of the tremendous culinary diversity the country has to offer if the average indian isn't aware the world surely hasn't a clue and on this podcast we're talking about all sorts of interesting regional indian cuisines that just don't get the love they deserve my name is roxanne bambot and this is beyond butter chicken Assam is known for its tea and silk but sadly not so much for its cuisine. I've seen some home chefs do small pop-ups to help popularize the cuisine, but it's still largely shrouded in doubt. My guest on today's episode grew up in Jorhat, Assam and insists that some of her best food memories are from her time living in the state. In the culinary universe of star-studded chefs, Chef Amninder Sandhu shines bright. She's an extremely popular chef. She's the only Indian chef to be a part of the prestigious show The Final Table on Netflix. She's won the national award for best lady chef by the Ministry of Tourism and has been labeled the girl with the golden fingers by none other than Chef Marco Pierre White himself. Chef Amninder, thank you so much for being on the show today. Welcome to the Beyond Butter Chicken podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh my pleasure. I'm so so excited to do this. Before I met you, I'd heard about you. You know, there's this crazy cool chef that's in town and she's badass and she's doing some amazing stuff at this restaurant in Bandra. And of course, I live at the other end of town, so I was just like, who's this? What's going on? And then I remember I was doing the programming for the Kalagoda Food Festival, and I think your PR team, I think Brent it was, you know, yes. still working with him, right? He's a great guy. Yeah. And I think he put me in touch and he said, "Listen, this chef is doing some amazing stuff and she's doing Assamese food." And I had never come across a chef who was doing Assamese food. And I just thought that was amazing, and that's actually how I met you and then you did this wonderful demo and then i realized that you're actually a punjabi you're not yes. assamese i thought you were assamese from assam but having grown up in assam i want to ask you how would you best describe the food that you grew up eating there so for me it was the best of both worlds so everything from game meat to pula bhat to aloo pitika to aloo parathas for breakfast chicken butter masala all of that was you know just that's food quite, for me that's quite amalgamation yeah. of very two different cuisines totally like grew up eating pork and i really enjoy that but i also love my tandoori chicken so i would say it was just like a perfect amalgamation and it allowed me to from my childhood you know going for picnics to dense forests you know my mama would teach us how to catch fish and then whatever we would catch he would stuff it into a young bamboo and throw it on open fire to cook it and 3 or 4 years old then and i would and for me it was like when the cooked food came out of the bamboo it felt like magic and he made me realize that cooking is cool so you know with all of those childhood memories and just very different food that i was eating i grew up not thinking that i'll be a chef Oh, okay. I thought this I'll is... be a doctor, and I never cooked at home. I would just like watch my mom and my sister are great cook, and you know, growing up in Jorhat, there were very few ingredients like fancy ingredients that you could buy in the market. But whatever she couldn't buy, she would grow it in her kitchen garden. Oh, but that's always, wonderful! Yeah, but she would always up the game as far as food was concerned. I mean, that's the dream, so, at least for me, to have a kitchen garden and then yeah. grow all these wonderful exotic things. And you just had a childhood full of that, so I'm a tad bit. Uh, 
green with envy but how wonderful you know it sounds like that picture is you know you watch something on uh, national geographic or on the discovery channel of these exotic places and they all have these wonderful farmlands and everything yeah. is like farm to forest and you pretty much lived that that was your yeah, reality beautiful but as a child since we didn't have like restaurants or you know burgers or pizza delivery and all of that so everything was made from scratch at home you want spoiled early unlike us city slickers <laughs> no, not at all like i i didn't know what watching what you eat even ma- you know meant <laughs> what about till now I my, till i was in my 30s you know yeah but that's yeah. wonderful so can you tell me as for me i honestly have no idea of what it means to have an assamese food and my understanding and exposure is literally zilch we don't really have much of that in the cities maybe i think in delhi or because of proximity or calcutta you know just because the cities are closer yeah. relatively closer you know you probably have more but sitting in mumbai it seems so exotic so my question really is what can you tell me or how would you really define assamese food and what would you say really distinctive ingredients or flavors that you might find in the food like would it be very spicy would it be sweet or what is a typical assamese meal like so it's it's a confluence of the hill people from the their practices their cooking practices from the hills mm-hmm. and what is found in the plains so everything from fermentation to drying of meat to just abundance of there's so many exotic vegetables and fruits and varieties of rice that you get in assam and so, i would imagine specific to just the region it's not something that you get anywhere else it's just specific no. to the state no and a big part of the menus that i do is to celebrate those ingredients because they're not necessarily looked at as indian ingredients you know if i said tengamura or i said kaji nemu now at least people know a little bit about it but you know koni joha rice or alpinia leaf tora path you know it's you you wouldn't think of it as indian Yeah, this is all Greek and Latin to me as uh, as far as I'm concerned or because there's just, you know, there's not enough information and there's not enough exposure, which we're really hoping to change, honestly, with this podcast. I mean, uh, and I know you're Punjabi, so I'm sure you love your butter chicken. We're trying to change that and go beyond it. And this is the perfect example. You've just rattled off a list of wonderful, I'm sure, wonderful ingredients. And I have absolutely no idea about that. So this is great. So, you know, if you landed into guwahati your first meal in the dhaba would be a duck curry and rice okay. you know so wow. so poultry is not just chicken so pigeon duck squab all of that is poultry that's great but can you tell me a little bit more about the ingredients that you just listed off just maybe like a line to describe what it is because i'm assuming most of them are vegetables or or uh, greens yeah. mm-hmm. so you know fiddlehead fern Oh, I do know fiddlehead ferns. I do know that because I think I had it. Uh, it's also found in Uttarakhand, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. and uh, maybe some parts of Kashmir as well. Yeah. So, so because of the so, yeah because of the terrain, there are certain similar ingredients, and I think it we pretty much eat the same thing. It's just the way we eat it, right? Mm-hmm. In different parts. That's like when I did the demo at Kalagura Art Festival. It was dal chawal and alu sabji, but it was. rice which was wrapped in alpinia leaf it was dal which had banana leaf flower in it it was gutti aloo which is as tiny as chickpeas you know 
So it was your dal chawal and aloo sabzi, but it was so different because it was from the northeast. You know, and you had mentioned this. What do you call it? Gutti aloo, gutti right? Aloo. And I, I read this somewhere that they're actually really tiny potatoes, only locally found in Assam, and that's what you have. And I'm so envious of that because I was having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day, and I said, you know, when you watch these even YouTube videos, even from other countries and things like that, and they're talking about different potato dishes, you know, they'll say this is rustic potato and this is something potato, and they're like. variants and every time i go to the market i just have one aloo that ladies like yeah. hey, aloo aadha kilo full kilo kya chahiye there's it's only that and then i hear about all these little and i was i think it was one of your articles i must have been reading to research and you mentioned these baby potatoes and i was just like why do we not have that or why is it not talked about or celebrated enough you know and it's beautiful you know so you cook it in its skin and it's like burst of flavor mostly just like sukhi sabzi they make with this aloo and it's just a really beautiful indian aloo which should be like i would be so happy if i saw it in someone's home like i land up in your house for lunch and you say oh this is the aloo we've cooked together because it also means setting up a supply chain to a poor farmer up there yes. in the north you know who's selling it for like 20 bucks a kilo and it's so exotic I was in Montana for a pop up and there was food writer from New York and I mentioned these potatoes and she pulled out an image she like and she showed it to me you know between the two prongs of the fork it was this tiny yeah. potato and she like is this the potato you're talking about I said yeah she like I'm researching on these potatoes and I don't know where all in the world it's found wow So someone a food journalist sitting in New York eating this in Montana has more information about uh, Assamese uh, little baby potatoes than we do. Yeah. Wow. Like the Germans I used to run a restaurant in Jorat 7-8 years ago and these Germans landed up there because they were researching extensively on bujolokia. Wow. And you know they wanted me to do a recipe with that and they had this little contest of who can eat how many and all of that. <laughs> and my servers got sick after that competition and then the next day it was a saturday night mm-hmm. and three of my servers because they wanted to one ate three bujolokia the other one ate one and a half and then they were like breathless and they they were just out <laughs> they were, they like, were out and i was cooking and serving myself it was a tiny <laughs> 30-seater restaurant and the next day they show up again and they look at me and they're like are you angry with us and i was like yeah because you yeah, what do you think <laughs> So I love that you've brought up the bhuchalokya because this is a great segue to my question that I wanted to ask you any which ways. Um for those who aren't familiar or who don't know and we're hoping that this podcast goes to every inch and corner of the country and possibly the world, bhuchalokya is one of the spiciest chilies in the world and I know that it's made such a popular appearance on TV shows even MasterChef Australia which is such a popular show if you're in India. I mean we love that and to make an appearance there is quite something. So my question really is like do the people in Assam use this regularly or is it one of those stereotypical things that you know you've read somewhere oh spiciest chili in the world and the locals are just like calm down we have more or is it something that they're saying you know yes this is great we love our chili we take great pride in it and we eat it all the time so it's the take great pride eat it all the time we love our chili see <laughs> growing in like your kitchen garden and uh, pickles Mm-hmm. Uh, even dried chili is you know kept in mustard oil and then you use that oil to in your marinades or you just want to like amp up a dish that like would be amazing yeah it's a sudden like bang of flavor big punch and uh, more than the heat it also has a beautiful smoky flavor to it which i really like mm-hmm. and i use bhuchalokya for that do you use it often 
I use it. I mean, you know, grown up seeing my mom do that. Yeah. Like add that oil and just make things extra nice. So it's become second nature even for me. I mean, this would be the ultimate chili oil, right? Because it's yeah. spicy. I don't know how spicy, but it's spicy enough that, you know, you, you're, it's all fiery. And then just to have that infused in your oil, you, I don't think you even need the chili after that. It's all the heat is there. Super spicy. So if a regular chili is, say, 100 Scoville units, this will be like 100 million Scoville units. Wow. So yeah. Wow. So, so then this would, this would be terrible for someone like me because even when I cook regularly and I use green chili and I do it all the time, like I've cut it and I th- thought I've been very diligent and then yeah. washed my hands and then suddenly, you know, a little bit later, I'm just like, why is my eye itching? And I've obviously like rubbed it without realizing it. So I'm not touching this one, but I'll leave it to the professionals, aka <laughs> you, and you can do that for me. And you know what really helps if you have chilies in your hand? Mm-hmm. Milk. Or the really, yeah. So Even if I, you I, eat spicy food, that sugar and water and you know, doesn't. Yeah, help. yeah. That that I know. <laughs> so from an eating point of view, of course. Like I, we always, my granny used to say, just have some dahi and or milk dahi. because it burn, it lessens the burn in the stomach. But what yeah, do we do about my hands? In, yeah, calcium in dairy. I think it blocks that neurotransmitter that makes you feel the heat. I'm learning new things, neurotransmitter <laughs> and all. I'll so if your eyes ever itch, then just put some milk. Means I'll, I'll, I'll wash my <laughs> face with dahi or milk. That's wild. I'm going to try this. I'm really going to try this. Fantastic. So I was reading through and I realized that a lot of the food that's cooked is well, like you mentioned, fermentation, of course, and a lot of slow cooking, a lot of drying it out. And I'm assuming that a technique that they use is to cook on coal or, or to cook on fire, like a slow flame. And I know that this was your signature because when you were running your kitchen at Earth, which is which was an extremely popular restaurant in suburban Mumbai, that's how everyone got to know you. You decided to cook everything without a cooking range, without gas yes. or, and I just, it blew my mind and I remember even seeing your restaurant kitchen and you were like yeah yeah, come in and see and it was like handies I mean like massive pots all over and it was what two stories the restaurant and I'm looking at this whole thing saying how is she doing this with like your army battalion behind you of servers and cooks and chefs and all and it was I mean it was a fancy restaurant you know this was not like you just slap on dal and rice or something uh, trendy or this awful fusion-esque thing this was just fantastic food and great produce and I'm like how is she doing this without a traditional store so I want you to tell me about that and I'm assuming that the inspiration came from how you grew up eating and cooking definitely I mean it has to do with my childhood food memories because my mom even now has an angiki a tandoor and a chula in her backyard so she will never char bengan on a burner and make bengan bharta you know it's always in a chula her she'll leave dal overnight on a nangiti and rotis in a tandoor is like a normal thing for us at home you know so mom is still in Assam she's still in Assam we should go sometime yeah I was just gonna (laughs) self-invite myself I said I suddenly feel so (laughs) terrible that I'm charring my bengan on my gas stove no, no, I'm inviting you. Please, we must go. It'll be a very, very fun holiday. Yeah. yeah. So different. It's so exotic. It's so beautiful. It's like everything pretty much you'll see, you'll feel like you're seeing it for the first time in your life. And it's part of your country, you know? Yeah. 
and, uh, and uh, that's the sad part right it, it's part of your country it's a normal experience for the people that live there this is how they've always cooked and lived etc and but we are so used to the shortcuts right like you mentioned uh, mom cooking dal overnight and i just was like my god my dal takes 12 minutes to the dot in a pressure cooker yeah. i cannot yeah. imagine it just like chowing yeah. you know all night and it's sad because we kind of lost you know lost our way because that's how it was and honestly that's how it should be yeah. but thanks to the microwave and pressure cooker we've sort of drifted okay. a wee bit but you haven't you decided to stick to this process and i cannot believe you did this in a commercial kitchen space and i think you're taking it the same philosophy wherever you go right so anyone yeah, who once you do it once you've slow cooked on an angiti or cooked meat under hot sand in a sand pit you'll never be happy with just regular <laughs> burners but you know because how do you cook meat it, in a sand pit in a restaurant <laughs> in the middle of bandra that's what was different and uh, so i custom designed all my equipment you know the little angiti from mom's backyard was then blown to an industrial size to be able to uh, handle a busy lunch and dinner service there was plating involved for all the appetizers for the desserts and it was extremely challenging i remember we had this charcoal fired dosa tawas you know because i used to do this manipuri black rice dosa with lobster love that you mentioned that because my producer Eva was telling me about that and is one of her favorites so that's great that you mentioned that so nice i live for such stories you know when someone it's almost like you feel so happy that someone gets it that mm-hmm. you know you're trying to do something you're trying to push boundaries and people are getting it i mean that's it's a very very gratifying moment oh, for me oh absolutely so yeah it was so then the dosa tawa the gap between the charcoal and the tawa was too much in the beginning so all the coal would burn the tawa would get super hot the dosas were burning and then i reduced it it became then there wasn't enough circulation for the coal to stay lit and then i had to cut out windows for you know to incorporate air into it so there so was quite so a scientific many... process huh? like you yeah. it's, it's almost like you're doing a little physics class to ensure that you get the kitchen of your dreams yeah because i didn't have any reference point right and i couldn't yeah. like walk into a kitchen and see or meet a fabricator and say hey can you make this for me it was me working with them and you know like it was like creating prototypes and then understanding it Absolutely. works and like there was one thing that i never which slipped my mind was frying onions and when the first day we were frying onions on the angiti you have no regulator you can't control the heat right yeah there's no simmer there is no turn it up so it's a very organic way of cooking it's very intuitive you have to it's touch and feel and the look of the food so even in the team like i would have people who would come for a job and then i would always show them the kitchen that this is where we always take a food trial right for cooks yeah. before we hire them and then i would show them the kitchen this is where you have to do your food trial and most of them wouldn't show up the next day wow because because That's it's terrifying like, huh it's like being in if you don't if you're inexperienced <laughs> it's like being in a straight jacket trying to dance with a drunken pig or something you know you are you're like absolutely thrown out of your comfort zone so yeah completely so i mean i've been in very very challenging situations even otherwise but the kitchen at earth is it tops my list i can imagine i, I it mean, wasn't I for the faint hearted it was it was a tough kitchen to be in but it worked out so well right because you've taken this philosophy of what you grew up with of what you know like it's almost like this is your essence this is yeah. who you are as a chef you can yeah. go to culinary school and you can travel the world and you can work in with the best michelin chefs all over the world and of course there's learning right there's learning yeah. everywhere you're constantly learning nobody is that arrogant to think there isn't but you take all that 
and then you come back and this is really what feels the best to you so really hats off i'm still in awe of how you've managed to cook meat in a sandpit in the middle of busting bandra in a kitchen is this what you did with iktara as well when you went there so now all no, your kitchens so- wherever you go is going to be like this No so Iktara wasn't like that but now in my delivery kitchen I'm going to bring going to do that yeah. and I want to do a refined version of it that's the restaurant that is occupying a big part of my heart right now and I'm in no rush to do it but it'll happen to, yeah when the time is right although I imagine it in great clarity I have a very very clear picture in my head but I'll do it when I feel the time is right that's fantastic I like that I have clear clarity I have the clear picture in my head I'm not going to rush it. I actually relate to that so much because like every time you have a passion project or you have something that feels just like this is it. This is what I was supposed to do. You're like I it'll happen. I'm not going to play around with the stars and like tempt fate. It'll happen in its time. I love that. So coming back to Assamese food, I mean, we talked about the techniques and, you know, slow cooking and the lack of a gas or commercial kitchen. So I remember this was back in maybe 2012 or 13 or 14. There was this wave of Assamese pop-ups. Um, you'd have chef, not chefs, but home cooks really who were trying to popularize the cuisine and uh, did these wonderful pop-ups. Unfortunately, I couldn't attend, but I remember people raving about eating silkworms and ants, and that just blew my mind because it was so exotic. It was not something that people had heard of sitting in Mumbai or even Delhi for that matter. I think it was considered really, really exotic and almost similar to you know when you see people in Thailand saying, "I'm going to eat cockroaches and insects," and you were like, "Wow, that's insane!" So I think this was the closest to that. So really, my question is. Are there any other quirky ingredients or something that's a little bit outlandish for people like me that make up the cuisine? And also, how does one cook said worms or ants or any other quirky ingredients? So silkworm, because uh, most people back in the past, I mean, my childhood, I've seen that most people would have a loom in their homes that's and they would weave. Wow! Yeah. So for their own personal consumption, would rear. silkworm and after you extract the silk threads then it's boiled and sometimes it's just eaten boiled as a snack sometimes it's just stir fried with garlic what does it taste like what like what's the texture like very high protein like almost like scrambled eggs but then it uh, but ends like a little bit like a prawn kind okay. of after taste okay and then that with rice beer you know Uh, mm-hmm. rice beer is also made a lot in the northeast so a stir fry silkworm with rice beer is what would be offered that's like bar snack yeah, <laughs> that's amazing it's, it's like you could you want to end your day with you know so in, say another part of the world you'd end your day with a cool beer and uh, maybe tapas or if you're in uh, india then chakna you know something sweet and salty and crunchy and here in assam you'd be like i just have some rice beer and some silkworms tossed up on the side i like yeah, that this is also from my childhood memory that a nest of a hornet and okay. the larvae from that i remember our house help was a tea plucker from the plantations yeah yeah and so you know like the how the hornet's nest is it has like chambers like almost mm-hmm. like a, and then he would press it and the larvae would come out and he would eat it and he would be, he would go like this is the most delicious thing you'll ever eat that's it just press eat like no cook no boil nothing, no nothing wow. and then he and then he would tell my mom that uh, give this to me and i'm going to and then he would do like a bhaja like a stir fry with mustard oil and 
onion and garlic and ginger and dhania nimbu and then eat that this is wild this is wild this is like this is tribal cooking and eating yeah. i yeah. love it why why are we don't why do we not talk about this enough this is cool <laughs> like this is the cool stuff and you've yeah. done that like you've just gone up to a hornet's nest and like plucked out the lava and popped no, it no i didn't do it because for me at that point it was and i'm not big into the eating insects and bizarre food yeah, i'm me like neither. it's but it's yeah. very cool to cure and i wish i had had that adventurous trip yeah and but, i have respect for the ones who can yeah. eat it yeah but it's not for me it doesn't i'm not into bizarre food for them it's not even bizarre right because Because if you've grown up watching your parents or grandparents do yeah. that or eat that, you like you said, you've not been spoiled by the outside world, so to speak, of fast food and grease. Which really, let's be honest, that's what it is. So your taste isn't, you know, it's not partial or impartial. Like we get so used to salt just from the processed food or anything else. So here, if you've grown up with this, then yeah. it's not even adventurous. It's normal. It's like, huh. whatever you know it's like what you eat. yeah it's like being so like this is what i would say being grounded is and yeah uh, remembering your roots and just being true to your nature and so close to nature and and there's no judgment that's just no judgment is, it and is you what eat it is whatever the whatever nature is providing and you're a human being like you should be you know yeah that's amazing so okay so we've got the ants yeah. we've got the silkworms and you mentioned the hornet larvae. nest larvae yeah. anything else that water beetles from pond so everyone has ponds at home and so when you catch fish and like a uh, small little pond in your backyard yeah even we had it wow and uh, ducks at home duck eggs for breakfast and you know oh, when duck you eggs are with, good yeah I've when you that. bake with duck eggs it's it's the most amazing really yeah like okay. even if you do just a pound cake but you do mm-hmm. it with duck eggs You're like what did i do right is it richer just yeah more intense it makes it more fluffy and mm-hmm. everything that an egg is supposed to do it does it into 10 times <laughs> i like that even in terms of nutrition it's a more i mean free range eggs yes absolutely i would imagine even like the silkworms the ants and this water beetle that you mentioned though i don't know how you eat that is all high protein it's extremely high protein so it's actually a really good rich diet there's so much talk about how it's going to be the future because you can rear them they reproduce much faster in smaller tight spaces yeah so you know you're right i can see this as suddenly you know like uh, red zeppi doing this at uh, noma and it would yeah. be this foraged menu of course Uh, you know a non-veg menu or a veg menu or whatever it is i could see this at like san sebastian you know at, at the conferences that they have and like it's yeah. the next best thing but it's just such a pity that it doesn't get categorized or recognized as a part of indian cuisine which it very much and rightly is it would just be you know somebody else will beat us to it and be like oh we found these ants in some part of wherever and then when you say but we've been eating it in india in assam for centuries and yeah. everyone's like what yeah that's just sad yeah. but very cool so, um, yeah so it's not so now it's not so common like unless you go to like a heart which is in a mm-hmm. village like a, a weekly like one day a friday is mm-hmm. it's it's the farmers market right the farmers bring whatever cool. they grow yeah yeah and uh, so like the place i come from jorhat is mm-hmm. actually it means like a market jorhat it was one okay. day yes. of the week where it, there was a market and that's how the name came about and so it's your farmers market and you would find cool things in the market like that but 
even now like it's not so common because i mean now you have buildings you have yeah. you know, like everything from the cities is also happening there so it's become rare there as well but so, so then common would be meat so, i would imagine yeah. pigeon as you mentioned somewhere earlier duck pigeon so uh, traditional assamese meal starts off with something known as khal which is mm-hmm. alkaline in nature mm-hmm. uh, because they like a lot of sour acidic things like your mash tenga and they make a lot of tengas and there are a lot of fruits what is tenga tenga means sour so you know you have things like the roselle that i mentioned tenga mura it's called roselle in english it's okay. from the hibiscus family it looks like a bud of a rose it's a very pretty looking nice. uh, little fruit and then that is put in dal and it's used as a souring agent even in a fish curry and then okay. you have outenga i think it's called a wood apple or something okay. like that in english so it's also a sour like it's very hard on the outside it's round and it's uh, green in color and then mm-hmm. once it ripens it becomes like a brownish yellowish color and that is used it's really if that also if they put it in dal also that's also really yum it's like fibrous and you yeah. cut wedges of it and you put it in the dal and that just that with koni johar rice will blow your mind away nice koni johar johar is a short grain fragrant rice Mm-hmm. and that like my mouth is watering and that with so is mine <laughs> da, da, with those veggies of that otenga mm-hmm. and uh, you know like a jackfruit seed chutney or even a bhurjalokia chutney on the side would be just beautiful yeah I, I, my mouth is watering and so i your so... <laughs> so your traditional meal would start with khar Mm-hmm. which is uh, like i was saying alkaline in nature so what happens is uh, you know they make ash from banana peel okay and water is filtered through it so it's the ingredient as well as the name of the dish and then you add other ingredients to it like raw papaya you can even add green leafy so it's the ash from the banana leaf banana, banana peel or banana leaf banana peel and then you filter water through it Mm-hmm. and you use that water with other ingredients like raw papaya or even green leafy vegetables like spinach or any of the kaddus you add in it yeah. or even fish like fish head is also added in it so think of it as just almost like, like a, a flavoring agent yeah it's just or like a garnish but you never mix it with anything acidic because you're not supposed to have khar and tenga okay. together you space it out so your okay. meal starts with khar something khar Uh, and and rice hmm. and then you move on to your vegetables and dal and hmm. then to meat and poultry and then you end it with the tenga which is the fish the sour fish curry so the tenga is almost right. like the main course or the sort of like the biryani uh, in in the scheme of order yeah that's yeah. your and, highlight yeah and then the khar is like literally like the phoenix it rises from the ashes and it becomes this beautiful thing and it's it really acquired... does ha huh? yeah. <laughs> that is literal it does yeah. rise from the ashes it's kind of an acquired taste mm-hmm. but anything you put it on it changes dish immediately do you use that uh, in your cooking as well no i haven't used it yet because it's a process and i always like pick up things like this and then i make them my own yeah so it's been on my mind and now that we're talking about it i have to it reinforces <laughs> it'll happen it'll happen yeah. and when it does i'm going to be the first one to come actually this whole team is going to be the first people to come and uh, try it thank you okay so a traditional assamese meal is also served on uh, bell metal 
So it's the same alloy. It's a uh, copper and tin, four times of uh, tin in copper. And you know, you have really nice utensils made out of like plates, your dinner set, which is yeah. like given to to your daughter at her wedding, or you gift it to someone, and it's like a matter of pride. It's all handmade, yeah. and the food is served in that uh, metal because they believe it's an immunity booster and it's good for you. It probably so also adds a little bit of flavor, right? Like they say, whatever you eat from uh, certain alloys, it, of yeah. course, like you said, immunity and uh, all that, but it also adds, it just changes the flavor a slight bit. Yeah, it does. So now we've talked about all this wonderful protein. We've talked about fish and fish head and meat and ants and all these wonderful things. But my question really is, if I was a vegetarian and I came to Assam, would I be able to enjoy a good meal? And if I was, say, a vegan, would I be able to survive? Is there a lot of dairy in the cuisine? So there isn't much dairy and you can easily survive as a vegan or a vegetarian. Just the abundance of green leafy vegetables, so many different types. I think you can spend a month easy eating a new green leaf Mm -hmm. or a red leaf that you haven't seen before. Like I like the red leaf. What is the red leaf? (laughs) There are so many, like how you have amaranth, you know, Brahmi. Yes, yes. It's called Mani Muni there. And it's like pretty much growing in everybody's house. And that is so popular. Then Laisag, which is like the mustard greens, Mm -hmm. which is very common seasonal and growing in people's homes. And then the fiddlehead. So quite and then a lot. There are, like, I have seen leaves there that I don't even know names of, but they come in those hearts. <laughs> and then you buy them and they're like delicious. That's fantastic. Yeah. And you also mentioned rice, right? Like there's so many different varieties of wild rice. So could you maybe tell me a few names or some different kinds? Yeah, so black rice, which is now very popular, is common there. Yeah, we get black rice and red rice mostly in, in most cities across the country. But anything yeah. that's specific, to Assam which I'd have to then supply from there to specific to Assam is Koni Joha it's short grain very tiny grain and it's very fragrant then there is a Bora Saul which is the pink sticky rice pink sticky rice yeah and that is used to make even the dessert pita which is uh, very uh, popular during Bihu so it's like a pancake mm-hmm. and you make it on like a, a cast iron tawa mm-hmm like a pancake and then you put a coconut and uh, or a jaggery filling or a black sesame seed filling in it nice and then you roll it and so they're like cigars white cigars with black stuffing inside with pink sticky rice yeah it's a pink sticky rice it's called bura saul and that rice is also wrapped in tora path which is alpinia leaf Mm -hmm. So you make little parcels, which I also do on my menu. So you make parcels of uh, that rice and -hmm. then you throw it in uh, boiling water. So it's raw rice wrapped in a leaf. And then when you open it, it's like a little rice cake. So the leaf also imparts its flavor, plus the rice has its own flavor. So it's plus the nutrients from the leaf, from the sesame paste, everything. That's fantastic. Okay, so uh, I guess the misconception really is that because, you know, there were hunters and gatherers and things like that, the emphasis is on the meat and the insects. But I think people just take for granted that that's all there is. And they've forgotten the abundance of local vegetables. And this is really local in its most uh, truest sense, really. Yeah. And rice is so big and fish is so big. I mean, if you don't love rice, then you are not an Assamese. And I am 100% Assamese in that regard. (laughs) I like that. So, you know, a lot of 
the world and actually most of India as well, we kind of tend to club all the Northeastern states together. You know, it's always like seven sisters, but nobody wants to really look at each sister in their, in her individual uh, state. So even when it comes to food, is that the same? Is it all similar or are styles of cooking distinct? Say, does Assamese food stand out from neighboring states or you do find a lot of similarity? There are similarities, but Assamese food has influence of Bengali cuisine. There are certain things that will remind you of Southeast. Asian countries. Yeah, your pancake reminded me of that. It's very similar to what you get in other Southeast Asian countries as well. Yeah, yeah. And in Nagaland, it's pretty much they eat everything, you know, like dog meat and everything like you and in Arunachal Pradesh or in Diomali you would rarely see like a wild animal like you would see in other forests because almost everything is eaten that's not the case in Assam and that's what people think you know that just like for a North Indian anyone who's a South Indian is a Madrasi for the rest of the country if you're from Assam means you you know you eat everything yeah yeah, you're jungly and you're you know yeah you're wild you're wild and yeah. yeah yeah which is cool I mean yeah sure but Assamese cuisine like I was saying the car the tenga the rice that the is very specific to yeah, Assam poultry I- duck duck is big and they understand you know how duck is cooked and at what time of the year it's fatty it's you know and the other things that we spoke about are I mean they're there but it's not like in your face you know like it's not like you walk into anyone's home and they're going to give you silkworm or the red (laughs) scrambled with duck eggs to eat you'll also like even I mean if you're adventurous and you travel and you go to the villages you'll have to find your source to be able to experience that otherwise it's food that you can relate to it's very healthy a lot of mustard oil is used Mm-hmm. and uh, yeah just abundance of fruits and vegetables and like there's That's so many probably what types. you'd be served right if you went to an Assamese house you'd probably be served a primarily vegetarian meal unless With- you specifically ask for the more exciting stuff yeah I mean they'll give you fish and fish is big yeah they like with their duck curry but it's not like they don't know what being a vegetarian is or yeah and I think that's the perception right like people yeah. think especially vegetarians were always thinking what will I get because it's all worms and ants and all these and, and can you imagine for someone that doesn't eat meat like worms and ants and water beetle is just mind-blowing that's and I, what discourages people from yeah. traveling to that part of the country I think. yeah and that's not the case no I mean I go for that uh, Bora Saul, go for that Torapath, go yeah. for that Tukulapath, for you know, for the Gutti Alu. I think it's time Tumbu. you curate travel trip to Assam, like a food trip. Uh, I think you and I need to do this. I'm just like Let's jumping on this. I've in- insinuated myself in this plan. We're just doing it. I think we're going to start with uh, everyone that's producing this show because <laughs> I, we are most excited. My producer in front of me, Akriti, is feverishly nodding her head like that. And I'm sure the girls on the call also are silently agreeing. So, okay, a question I love to ask everyone and there's no right or wrong really it's your interpretation but what is the one dish that you think really sums up Assamese food or a a dish or an ingredient that really you know when you eat it or you think of it you're like yeah this is the essence of what the food in Assam is like it'll have to be car because I haven't seen it elsewhere but for me like for me home is duck curry and rice nice 
and you know they add vegetables to it like ash gourd is added into mm-hmm. you add star fruit into your fish curry you add your oatinga to your dal i don't think you I've ever ha- heard of star fruit being added in fish curry or any curry so nice no please yeah. try it Yeah, Ambrish really is my neighbor. Actually, has a farm in Danu in Maharashtra. Uh, for those who are not familiar, it's a small town in Maharashtra, and there, I mean, they have wadis, right? Like massive yeah. farms, generational uh, farmers. But so now things are changing and all. But every time they come back, they bring us little like boar fruit and chiku. They actually have chiku farms, and one of the main things is star fruit. And my dad loves star fruit. Like the the, the more khatta and sour it is, the better. So this Make- time I'm gonna. Tell him I need your stash. I'm going to put this in curry because it's I've never heard of star fruit. Yeah, curry. I take think it's some bad. fish curry, fish curry with star fruit in it. Done. I'll be have and, to call you again. Be like, uh, now what do I do? And make a duck curry with like a gourd in it or like a pumpkin in it or. You know, I haven't cooked with duck. I'm always a little bit reserved because the only duck that I've eaten is like Chinese style plum duck pancakes and things like that. And yeah. I I find it just slightly drier meat. Yeah. I don't find it as moist or robust as. Say maybe chicken. Not that chicken is my favorite. It's my least actually. But I think you're right. Maybe in a curry, it would yeah. have more uh, infused flavor. So for so you're saying dish that represents Assam for you is. Duck curry and rice. Duck curry and koni joha rice with kaji lebu. My God. What is kaji lebu, Kam? It's the, it's like it. gondraj. Ah, correct. Okay. It's the lemon, yeah, lemon. which is lovely. Yeah, it, it's got a very fragrant rind. I love using its rind in my cooking. Fantastic. That smell is just smell of home for me. That's home. I love it. There's so much heart in even like I'm looking at you as you're saying this. Of course, this is audio, so they can't see you. But there's just such a big smile on her face as she's talking about this curry and this yeah. lemon, and it, it just takes you back, right? Like it's you yeah. think of that dish, and you're like, this is the state for me. This is home. This is what I grew up with, and that is fantastic. I love that. So. We're at the end of our podcast, but before you go, I want to ask you: What culinary glass ceiling is next on your list to shatter? Like, what does the future hold for Chef Amninder Sandhu? There's so much that I want to do that sometimes I feel it's too much and very little time. Mm-hmm. But I want to write a Indian version of the Larus, which is meant for serious cooks and mm-hmm. you know something that you refer to long after I'm gone. Nice. And I know you've also kicked up a new delivery kitchen so I thought this would be a great platform for you to talk about that because it's so new and currently yeah. you're in Pune the city of yeah. Pune in Maharashtra but you're going to expand to Mumbai hopefully Delhi maybe Bangalore pan India all over world domination is the plan Roxanne. I think so <laughs> I absolutely I mean you you got a foot in the door cuz you're on Netflix and that's pretty cool you're on a cooking show on Netflix I think the everyone was like so excited for you so I really do hope you have more opportunities like that to shine because I think you're fabulous Thank- I call it Amu because um, I was thinking of names and then I was like why don't I because it's an extension of me you know so and it has anything on the menu that I like like there's something like there's a chicken dish I call it my south indian chicken which is served with south, with said dosas because that's what I made at home once Sunday and everyone flipped out on it, and I couldn't really put a re- specific region to yeah. that recipe. It was just something that I felt I'll enjoy eating, so I put that on the menu. So it's pretty much it's just an extension of me, and it's a very interesting menu. And that's what I've launched, and I'm launching four other brands after that. Wow. Uh, 
So I've launched it in Pune, and next uh, by the fifteenth of October, I'm launching in Bandra. Fantastic! I look forward to that. I'll be the first one to order. What do you think is the one ingredient that goes into almost every dish when you're cooking Assamese food? For me, that one ingredient when I'm cooking Assamese food is mangonia, which is sawtooth coriander. What coriander? Sawtooth, you know, you see it also in uh, like Vietnamese cuisine. It's a long blade ah. and it's got like, it's got serrated edges. It's like a saw, like okay. a tooth of a saw that you use to cut wood. That's fantastic. I've never heard of that. It's a very common dhania in Assam. Wonderful. And that's and in has, everything. And it has dhania flavor into 20 at least. So it's like the most potent coriander. Coriander. And if we, you just make chutney. So when I launched Arth, I just I used to make chutney from that. And everyone was like, how is your green chutney so different? Of course, it was in the silbata, but yeah. it was also the manthonia. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for doing this, Chef. I am thrilled. This was a wonderful episode. And I honestly know that you can't really encapsulate an entire cuisine on just one podcast. So hopefully there will be many more and more experiences. But if if you'd like to follow chef and what she's doing please find her on instagram and follow all her updates if you happen to live in india hopefully you'll be able to sample her food at some time if you're in any of the cities Pune, mumbai possibly later delhi or bangalore please do try amu's delivery thanks so much for doing this chef thank you so much for having me if you enjoyed this podcast, you can tune in every week for a brand new episode where I talk to another expert and delve into a different aspect of Indian cuisine. You can listen to more episodes of the Beyond Butter Chicken podcast on Spotify, Apple Music or any of your favorite podcast platforms. And make sure to follow us at Mammoth Media Publishing and The Tiny Taster for more updates. Until next time.